everyone. My name is Ari and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So greetings, everyone. So happy to deliver the next installment of inspiration for your inner aspirations. I'm not sure about you, but I'm still reeling from the bombshell in last week's episode. And this is a big reason why I love doing this research, because you learn so, so, so much. Now, continuing on with Black History Month, this week we'll be featuring a story that will guaranteed have you on the edge of your seat. We're getting ready to embark on another action movie-esque adventure. So hold on to your hattery. This individual started their life relatively quiet, but then was the center of an event that quite literally changed the course of a war and the history of our nation. And they didn't stop there, as this landmark event was the beginning of a long campaign against all of the societal limitations and stereotypes that were imposed on them by an ignorant majority. I mean, without giving too much... Once you commandeer a ship, you set the bar pretty darn high. We can only expect greatness from a person like that. And I personally loved doing the research on this story. I am so, so pumped to share with you. I mean, this person's personality and grit almost jumps off the page when you're learning about them. And it's always so uplifting and super encouraging to see individuals who are born into these terrible circumstances that most people couldn't even imagine living through. But not only did they live through it, they didn't once allow their past to define their future and just basically blew everyone's expectations right out of the water. It's wonderful. I absolutely adore a good underdog comeback story. I mean, truly. And this is definitely checking all those boxes for me. So let's get right into it. This week, we'll be covering the risk taker, the redeemer, the rescuer, Robert Smalls. Robert Smalls was born enslaved in the year 1839 in the city of Beaufort, South Carolina. Robert's mother, Lydia, was enslaved by the McKee family, and his father was never named, likely because Lydia was raped by the owner's son, resulting in the birth of Robert. Growing up with the politics of race culture and colorism, Robert experienced better treatment than the other children due to his lighter skin complexion. His mother, witnessing her son being treated better than his peers, feared that Robert wouldn't truly understand the horrors of what his peers experienced. And this is a great mother right here because although her son was receiving a better quality of life, she didn't want it to make him ignore others who were suffering much more than himself. As the years went on, Robert grew stronger and was chosen to accompany his owner to Charleston to work in a variety of jobs. Robert started working at just 12 years old as a laborer, then worked in a hotel, and went on to take other service jobs in the Charleston area. It was at his hotel job 
just five years later, that Robert would meet and marry his future wife, who was also enslaved. The two would have four children together, but unfortunately, one would pass away at just two years old. Absolutely tragic. With working his odd jobs, Robert's goal was to save up enough money to purchase freedom for him and his family. Unfortunately, due to the pay structure in which Robert was only paid a dollar a week and the rest of his wages were paid directly to his owner, saving up over time just wasn't a viable option, no matter how hard he worked. So the way it was set up was... He only received personally a dollar a week, but he made a lot more than that. So technically, he could have saved up enough to buy the freedom for him and his family if that pay structure wasn't so messed up. It's just crazy. Eventually, Robert discovered a fondness for the waterfront, which I can 100% relate to, and gravitated towards dock work. Working in a few positions around the docks, including as a sailor, Robert was regularly exposed to several different aspects of operations for the Charleston Harbor and would become quite familiar with the inner workings. At the beginning of 1861, relations between the North and South were deteriorating rapidly and the country was on the brink of civil war. Now, the Civil War is one of my favorite wars to like research and learn about. I'm like obsessed with Gettysburg and Williamsburg. I mean, just in general for the historic aspects, not necessarily the Civil War aspects, but there are many smaller events that kind of led up to triggering the start of the war. But one of the main big sort of turning point events was the Battle of Fort Sumter, which was one of the first clashes between the Confederates and the Union soldiers. Fort Sumter was located in and around the Charleston Harbor area, so Robert was thrown right into the thick of it as a working sailor. Robert was commissioned to be the helmsman or the wheelman on a Confederate supply ship that was being used to ferry resources between posts. Over the course of several months, Robert would operate the ship as the helmsman, navigating all around the waterways and supply routes used by the Confederates. It was reported that during this time period, Robert had worked to earn the trust of the Confederate crew, and this is when he began to formulate his grand escape plan. On his routes, Robert was privy to classified Confederate information, such as maps, supply caches, and port information. Robert was also well-versed on the signals and protocols necessary to navigate the ship through and out of the harbor without raising suspicions. Not to mention, many people who worked in the harbor had seen him at the wheel of the ship many, many times previously. His escape plan was to guide the ship out of the harbor and into the awaiting Union fleet that was within eyesight. But first, he had to figure out a way for the Confederate officers to leave the ship and for the enslaved crew's families to be allowed on. Robert alerted the crew on board about his escape plan, and on May 12, 1862, after the ship had completed its supply pickups for the day, the ship docked at Charleston. 
Luckily, the Confederate officers that were on the ship disembarked to spend the night on shore. Before they left, Robert asked if their families could visit them while they were docked, which was a rare luxury. The officers were familiar with Robert and granted them permission for their families to come aboard as long as they were gone by the curfew. After making a few final preparations and waiting until the wee hours of the morning, they were off with Robert at the wheel wearing a disguise of a captain's uniform with a hat and mimicking his captain's behaviors. The ship set off towards the Union ships that were sitting directly outside the harbor. So Robert wasn't just, you know, going off willy-nilly. He was making an effort to essentially keep up the appearances that the ship was just going about its regular business, even though the early morning hours were a bit of a red flag. But because of his disguise and his ability to mimic his captain's behaviors, he was good to go. Robert had to make stops and cross more than five different checkpoints along the way, including passing by Fort Sumter itself, which they had the power to absolutely eviscerate their ship. But not in one instance, not a single time were they caught or questioned on the way out. As Robert approached the Union ships across the harbor, Everyone on board waited with bated breath to be shot down, although they had replaced the Confederate flags with white flags to signal surrender. After successfully escaping the Confederate territory and making his way safely to the Union ships, it's reported that when Robert first made contact with the Union soldiers, his first words were, Good morning, sir. I brought you some of the good old United States guns. The ship was an absolute gold mine to the Union soldiers, not only for the abundance of guns and ammunition, but also for the classified Confederate documentation that was on board as well. Robert volunteered information and was questioned at length by the Union soldiers, in which he provided invaluable intel about the Confederate military's defenses in the area. I mean, intel that was enough that the Union was able to mount an attack against the Confederates that were organized in that South Carolina harbor area, as previously they were under the impression there were more troops stationed there than there actually were. So when Robert told them the true number, within that week, they had pretty much mounted an attack and cleared the area out. So it's pretty amazing. Now, you'd think an individual who accomplished a feat this amazing and was wanted by pretty much the whole of the South and the Confederate Army You'd think he'd stop and, you know, just live a quiet life free and in peace. Absolutely not. The man was built different and he wasn't going to stop there. Robert became an overnight sensation in the North and the South and was awarded $1,500 in prize money, which was equal to about $40,000 today. So he received a single $40,000 payment. 
His story was picked up by all the major news outlets, and Robert Smalls became a household name. On the northern side, he became a representation of the resistance of African-Americans wanting to be free. While in the South, he was absolutely, completely villainized. Basically like, this is what we're fighting for. You know, it's crazy. But eventually, obviously he had gained all this recognition. Robert would eventually make his way up to D.C., earning an audience with President Abraham Lincoln to petition for the right for African-American men to join the Union Army. Another cool little timeline cross right there. At the encouragement of his newfound military colleagues, Robert joined the Navy to utilize his wealth of information and knowledge, becoming one of the first African-American pilots in the Navy, even participating in key attacks one in particular on Fort Sumter, in which he was wounded. Within his time with the Navy, Robert was instrumental in more than a few naval attacks, in one instance taking the wheel after his own captain had abandoned ship. After the end of the war, things just continued to improve for Robert and his family. Now, This has to be one of the most satisfying hero redemption stories I've ever heard. And it literally made me tear up in joy after reading it. I mean, to put it simply, Robert was living the dream in every single sense of the word. After the war, Robert headed back home to his original owner's house in Beaufort. So he traveled down south, risking his life to go to his original owner's house. And why would he do that, you ask? Listen on. Once he arrived, it was evident that his original owner's family had fallen on terribly hard times. Oh, bless their little cotton socks. They were nearly destitute. And the property had been seized due to failure to pay taxes. And you know what Robert did? I mean, an absolute boss move. This is the boss moves of boss moves. And y'all know, I mean, I would say this is above my irregular gent, you know? So this is just badass. Robert would buy his former owner's home. (laughs) Yes, you heard that correct. Robert bought for cash the home he had previously been enslaved in that belonged to his former owner. Like what? I mean, does it get any more amazing than that? I personally would have bought it and burned it to the ground out of principle, but that's why Robert was the hero. He was a reasonable man. I mean, he lived in the home with his mother and even had the goodness of his heart to allow his former owner's wife who likely showed him some kindness when they were younger, to live there as well. Which is, you know, pretty telling that, number one, the the owner's wife was willing to live with Robert over the conditions that they were living in together. So during this time period, Robert also learned basic literacy because he didn't know how to read and write. And he would purchase a school for other African-American children to have a place to learn as well. Robert would also invest heavily in his town of Beaufort, 
stimulating the local economy with other business owners and working to help the transition of the enslaved into a free society. Robert would also publish a completely African-American focused and owned newspaper called the Beaufort Southern Standard, as well as open a local general store. Robert had a thriving speaking and political career, due in part to his reputation, but also his valuable language skills, such as having the ability to interpret and speak a local dialect called Gullah, which resulted in him receiving several prominent positions within his state and national government. Robert was also appointed as a delegate to the Republican National Convention in May of 1864, and just four years later would be elected to the South Carolina House of Representatives, as well as the United States House of Representatives from 1875 to 1879. Robert was vocal against segregation, improving civil rights and the economic prospects of the recently enfreed, as well as advocating for increased support for African-Americans who served in the Civil War. Robert was also active in local politics within his community of Beaufort. Although slavery had been abolished, the treatment of African-Americans in the South was still notoriously bad dangerous, and downright life-threatening. African-Americans were frequently harassed and intimidated by their white neighbors as the sentiments from the war still lingered, resulting in many African-Americans having to suffer abuse and even death by lynching. Robert had to personally step in to prevent a mob of white residents from lynching a pair of African-Americans who were supposedly, air quotes, accused of murdering a white man. He spoke with the mayor personally, saying that if this mob wasn't stopped, a riot would soon break out in the city, resulting in even more casualties. And the mayor listened. Robert would live out the rest of his days in his hometown of Beaufort under the roof of his former owner's home, which was now his home. Which, by the way, the former owner's family tried to sue him for it, but he was able to beat the case and kept the home. Man, it's like really like just go be broke and annoying like somewhere else. Sheesh. Like I'm trying to live in my house. Thank you. Robert Smalls would pass away on February 23rd, 1915, in his family's home in Beaufort. Robert's home was actually made into a National Historic Landmark, and his legacy became ingrained in the history of Beaufort. Phew, now I told you this story was a doozy and checks literally all my boxes. Someone who didn't allow society or their childhood to dictate their future, who decided that this is wrong. And instead of accepting it, risked everything to do what's right, to help others escape, help others prosper, help others reach their freedom. And really, I will never, ever forget that this man, after helping to win a war against his ability to be a free man, went down to his ex-owner's home and bought it cash, then won the case when they tried to sue him for it. I mean, there's no redemption better than that. 
I wanted to end it on a really good quote from Robert as well, because you guys know I love a good quote. And I feel like this quote encapsulates Robert's core life mission, which was to help his fellow man. We are all better when we're lifting up others. My race needs no special defense. For the past history of them in this country proves them to be equal of any people anywhere. All they need is an equal chance in the battle of life. So you can check us out at madeofmetalpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Made of Metal Podcast. And that's M-E-T-T-L-E. If you have a person that you'd like to request or story that you'd like to share, or maybe you know someone who would like to share their story, please go to my website and contact me. I love to feature you. And as always, an absolute pleasure, my loves. And don't ever, ever, ever forget to bloom where you are planted.